Mr. Speaker, the Pope of the Holy See. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com, says me, if not you. Glad you could join us here for a uh, another thrilling, action-packed adventure as the Pope comes to Congress. A very big day in the nation's capital today. We will cover all of that and discuss it with uh, with Mitch Hescox, uh, Reverend Mitch Hescox of the Inv- Evangelical Environmental Network. He was at the at the White House yesterday. He was out in the crowded mall during Pope Francis's remarks. Historic remarks to the Congress today. We will get to that very shortly. Uh, But first, uh, some uh, breaking news. Horrible story. Horrible story coming out of Saudi Arabia. Two giant waves of Muslim pilgrims collided at an intersection Thursday near a holy site in Saudi Arabia. And more than 700 people were crushed and trampled to death in the worst disaster at the Hajj. In a quarter century, people were climbing over one another just to breathe, said Abdullah Lotfi of Egypt, according to AP. The Hajj, which drew two million people from over 180 countries this year, is a huge logistical challenge for Saudi Arabia. The kingdom has spent billions of dollars accommodating the growing number of pilgrims and maintain safety and security at Islam's holy cities of Mecca and Medina for the annual event. As of late Thursday, the Saudi Civil Defense Directorate said that the death toll was 719. But that probably would rise as body counts, uh, as, as bodies continued to be counted and sent to the morgue. At least 863 people were injured, the directorate said. An AP journalist saw bodies still lying on the ground more than 10 hours after the crush and ensuing stampede. This was the second major accident during this year's Hodge season. Earlier this month, a construction crane had crashed down onto the Grand Mosque, killing 111 people and injuring more than 390 Unfortunately, these uh, these accidents have been happening for quite a while. Actually, I don't even want to call it an accident. These incidents have been happening uh, for quite a while. Uh, the one that happened on Thursday, 
uh, was the worst since a similar incident in 2006 near the very same site when more than 360 pilgrims were killed in a stampede. Another stampede at Mina in 2004 killed 244 and left hundreds injured. Um, but uh, none of these, including today's, tops what happened uh, in a uh, Hajj-related tragedy back in 1990. That was the deadliest when 1,426 pilgrims died in a stampede in an overcrowded pedestrian tunnel leading to uh, holy sites in Mecca. So just a horrible, horrific situation out there, uh, breaking and uh, still developing as we go to air today. Uh, with, with that horrible news out of the way, here's some better news. Desi Doyen joins us. Hi, Des. How <laughs> yeah, are you? Yeah, that was that was pretty pretty um, horrific yeah. and depressing. To and say the sorry least. Sorry to hear that. That's awful. Uh, in the meantime, uh, a bit uh, happier day, I think, in uh, in this nation's capital today, as uh, Pope Francis issued a ringing call to action on behalf of immigrants on Thursday. He urged lawmakers to embrace the strangers in our mists as he became the first pontiff in history to address a joint meeting at the U.S. Capitol. We, the people of this continent, are not fearful of foreigners, because most of us... Because most of us were once foreigners. I say this to you as the son of immigrants, knowing that so many of you are also descendants from immigrants. The Pope went on to reference the migration crisis in Europe and in the United States, uh, our own struggle here with uh, immigration from Latin America, Francis summoned lawmakers to, quote, respond in a way which is always humane, just, and fraternal. He said we must not be taken aback by their numbers, but rather view them as persons, seeing their faces and listening to their stories, trying to respond as best we can to their situation. Our world is facing a refugee crisis of a magnitude not seen since the Second World War. This presents us with great challenges and many hard decisions. On this continent, two thousand of persons are led to travel north in search of a better life for themselves and for their loved ones in search of greater opportunity. We must not be taken aback by the numbers, but rather view them as persons, seeing their faces and listening with their stories, trying to respond as best we can to their situation to respond in a way which is always human, just, and fraternal, 
respond in a way which is always humane, just, and fraternal. Don't tell the frontrunner for the Republican nomination for president for 2016, Donald Trump, uh, who says uh, despite the crisis, despite the hundreds of thousands of refugees flowing out of war-torn Syria, uh, he would, uh, Donald Trump said he would uh, accept exactly zero here in the United States. Uh, thankfully, it looks like we're going to be accepting many more. Yes, and, and also I bet Senator Marco Rubio was not listening either because he came out with his uh, new plan for immigration, which is zero, zero path to citizenship, especially for children who are born here whose families will be split up if their parents are deported. Actually, I saw uh, some coverage in uh, on the Twitters that uh, Marco Rubio was in tears during his uh, during uh, the Pope's statement on immigration. So there's that. Did it change his mind somehow? Somehow, call me crazy, oh, but I doubt it. You're so cynical today, I Jesse am. Doyen. I am. Uh, after the speech, uh, the Pope appeared on a Capitol balcony. He briefly addressed the cheering crowd of thousands down on the lawn, uh, on the Mall uh, and beyond. Uh, Francis asked the crowd to pray for him, as he always does. But speaking in Spanish, he added a line to acknowledge that not everyone there was a believer, which I love. He said, uh, if among you there are some who don't believe or who cannot pray, I ask that you send good wishes my way. So uh, he uh, responds to those who are not believers. And we, of course, are sending good wishes his way. Not being believers here. Uh, In any event, uh, he added, God bless America. uh, As he uh, concluded and headed uh, into the House chamber, he went to a local church after the speech uh, where he gave another short speech on helping the poor and then was meeting with homeless people at the Catholic uh, Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Washington. He's walking the walk. Yes, he is. Uh, Francis uh, alluded only in passing to the Catholic Church's opposition to abortion uh, when he noted to applause uh, during his remarks in the House chamber uh, that uh, our responsibility to protect and defend human life at every stage of its development. The golden rule also reminds us of our responsibility to protect and defend human life at every stage of its development. This conviction has led me from the beginning of my ministry to advocate at different levels the global abolition of the death penalty. Very nice. I was going to say there that uh, that got a huge round of applause from uh, Republicans when he talked about defending life at every stage of its development. And then, of course, he had to go in and call for abolition of the death penalty. Go figure. Uh, Which got a huge round of applause. It sounded like in any event from uh, from Democrats. The Pope went on, and this was, of course, the most contentious, I think, uh, of his uh, of his statements. At least uh, this is what the Republic will be talking about this a little bit later in the program, what the Republicans have been just beside themselves attacking the Pope. Thanks to his uh, thanks to his call, his his encyclical calling for action for climate change. Well, he he reiterated his stance on uh, on climate change 
a little bit today. He spoke more directly about it, I think, uh, yesterday at the uh, at the White House. But today he reiterated his stance on climate change, discussing the environmental deterioration caused by human activity. We need a conversation which includes everyone since the environmental challenge we are undergoing and its human roots concern and affect us all. In Laudato Si, I call for a courageous and responsible effort to redirect our steps and to avert the most serious effects of the environmental deterioration caused by human activity. I'm convinced that we can make a difference. I'm sure. And, and I have no doubt that the United States and this Congress have an important role to play. Now is the time for courageous action and strategies. I'm at implementing a culture of care and an integrated approach to combating poverty, restoring dignity to the excluded, and at the same time, protecting nature. Now, obviously, uh, it's not uh, the easiest thing in the world to understand this pope's English. Uh, he says he calls for a courageous and responsible effort to redirect our steps and to avert the most serious effects of the environmental deterioration caused by human activity. He said, I'm convinced that we can make a difference, and I have no doubt that the United States and this Congress have an important role to play now, he says, is the time for courageous actions and strategies aimed at implementing a culture of care and an integrated approach to combating poverty, restoring dignity to the excluded, and at the same time, protecting nature. In calling for action on the climate and, uh, and to combat poverty, Pope Francis took care to insist that he was not anti-business, as some conservatives have suggested. He quoted a Catholic teaching document called uh, calling business a noble vocation, directed to producing wealth and improving the world. The mention of climate change, of course, drew standing cheers from Democrats while Republicans stood to applaud the reference to abortion. One Democratic House member let out a whoop of delight at the Pope's call to abolish the death penalty. Here to talk about all of this today, specifically the, the Pope's uh, thoughts on climate change to the U.S. Congress on Thursday and at the White House on Wednesday is the Reverend Mitchell C. Hescox. He serves as president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network. 
They focus on creation care, the stewardship of creation in the Bible, and the fight for environmental justice. Reverend Hescox has testified before Congress on the dangers of mercury exposure, spoken at the White House, appeared on CNN, NPR, PRI, MSNBC, numerous other radio programs, both Christian and secular. But, of course, his uh, finest hour, no doubt, was appearing uh, just a few months ago, right here on the broadcast. Happy to have the Reverend back. Reverend Mitch Hescox, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, thank you, Brad. It's good to be back, and certainly it is my finest hour being with you on the radio. (laughs) No doubt. Uh, Although uh, a close second place must have been yesterday at the White House. I know you were there for for the comments by uh, President Obama and and the Pope. Before we get to his comments today, well, actually, we can sort of hit them all at once. Your thoughts on the comments uh, at the White House yesterday uh, as the Pope uh, uh, thanked President Obama for his work to curb uh, emissions in the U.S. and pleaded for more action on climate change. And then again on his comments in his historic dr- address today before, uh, before Congress. Your general thoughts. I think probably the best way I can describe it is that, that, you know, I've been to a lot of really great occasions from meeting President Obama to all sorts of other things. And I can tell you that yesterday at the White House was probably my most memorable experience. And I said that because one of the things that I happened, and it was, for me, a person of faith, as truly as grace was just flowing, shining from the Pope. Mm. You know, I put it that the Pope and President Obama, you know, have some fundamental differences, but they agree on climate change. And as I watched the graciousness of both the President and especially the Pope, it seemed to me that maybe that's a model for America, that... You know, maybe we can get out of our partisan silos and let grace flow through us, that we might actually accomplish something in the United States instead of just, you know, having these partisan divides. We could agree on the things that we can agree on and at least dialogue on the things that we don't agree on and try to find solutions instead of just, as I said, this silo of ideologicalism, if that's a word. Yeah, well, that is that has been one of the bizarre things about this entire, I don't want to call it fight, but uh, it's a fight, I guess. And uh, as, as the CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network, I know that a lot of people, you know, do not consider uh, evangelicals really a part of the fight for climate justice. Uh, I, I suspect uh, they should if they know the work that, that you do. Would, do you feel that uh, the Pope's visit here, his comments at the White House, his comments at Congress, will somehow make your work any easier, will somehow begin to, uh, to bridge this really silly divide? I hope so, and it's my prayer. And I think my hope is that the Pope, in, in his positions on climate change and even other things like immigration, will help us see that, you know, what he's talking about isn't some theological position, it isn't hocus-pocus. You know, the Pope is really leading from, you know, the basis of our faith, um, at least written down in the Bible. Um, I spoke last week at Eastern University, and I said, you know, the Pope stands tradition, not of just evangelical scholars or even Catholic scholars, but he stands in the tradition of the Bible, which mandates us to care for the earth, to be good stewards of it, and certainly, as we all know, to care for the least of these, which climate change impacts the most severe, both here in this country and around the world. 
And yet so many on the right have, uh, you know, regarded his comments, his commentary on, uh, on, on the environment and many other things as political. And it just by way of a laugh here, uh, Congressman Paul Gozar uh, from Arizona said that uh, if, if the Pope wants to uh, work on climate change, he should do so in his personal time, which uh, is rather hysterical. But uh, why... Uh, why do you think it is? You know, we, on this show yesterday, we talked about uh, a comment, uh, actually an article that uh, John Gehring had posted over at TPM Cafe, pointing out that, you know, both Pope uh, John Paul II and Pope Benedict IV had had both spoken about climate change. They had talked about a new ecological awareness. They had talked about greenhouse gases and uh, the fact that uh, the greenhouse effect has now reached crisis proportions. That was Pope John Paul II back in 1990. And then Pope Benedict, uh, you know, more recently said that we cannot remain indifferent before the problems associated with such realities as climate change. Those comments from popes never seem to elicit the same sort of response that these comments from this pope has. Uh, what has changed, Mitch Hescox, in the uh, in the period of time between uh, John Paul's comments, Benedict's uh, comments, and now, as far as as far as you read it? Well, I think there's a couple things. First off, the immense popularity of this pope. I mean, you know, I am not a Catholic, but I respect the pope as truly. Um, a person who models Jesus Christ. The president said it in his remarks yesterday. He is a man of the people. He's humble. Um, and I think that charisma that he has, in a good sense of the word, that trying to live a life imitating Christ, has made him immensely popular with both Christians throughout the world and people of, as he would say, people of goodwill, not people of perhaps not even faith, but people of goodwill. And I think that puts a little fear in people that the momentum is gathering against those who would differ from climate change for all sorts of reasons. But I think what the Pope does more than anything else is he puts the issues of climate change in those issues, and quite honestly in the same way we at the Evangelical Environmental Network do, about being a pro-life, about being hope for rebuilding the economy, for sustainable energy for all. And, and that's the kind of language that I think awakens conservatives, both theologically and political, and it also puts those fear in those whose way of life, and quite honestly, maybe whose funding sources may change, because the dialogue is changing. It's not just about, you know, polar bears. The Pope is really helping the world to see that it's about children, and I think that's the impact he's having, and that is changing people's paradigms, and I hope that it happens in a very good way. And this really is a moment in history if we can come together to work on climate change. You refer to uh, the Pope's popularity. In one sense, you would think, of course, that that would make uh, politicians of all stripes want to align with him, given his, uh, you know, incredible popularity. But you also mentioned the funding. And this was a point that I brought up uh, yesterday on, on this show, because... That seems to me to be the difference. You know, you had uh, Pope John Paul, Pope Benedict all talking about this. I hadn't even known, frankly, that they had talked about it. But boy, oh boy, did I hear about it when uh, uh, when Pope Francis talked about it. And if you look at it, what has changed, it seems to me, is what happened in 2010. Is Citizens United? Is, uh, you know, everything changing with that, with the sources of funding, as you call it? Uh, you know, prior to 2010, 
I don't think that uh, so many Republicans were, you know, quite as indebted to the fossil fuel industry as they appear to be now. You know, you had Sarah Palin calling for action on climate change back when she was running in 2008. Now it's, you know, something she's never heard of. But, you know, the Pope's participating in politics is hardly new at all, but certainly the language, the response uh, has been very different than it has in the past. And I think I would agree with you, but first let me say that I don't believe the Pope is participating in politics as he's guiding us to a moral cause of action. I think he's trying to take this dialogue above politics from his spiritual foundations, from his care of people, from his own faith. And I think that's what's needed today is we have to, to bridge the political divide and help people to see that this is about children's health. It's about moral actions. It's about the future of our kids. It's about jobs. I believe one of the greatest things that we have to really lift up to conservatives around the country is the amount of fossil fuel subsidies that we give, not only in this country, but around the world. You know, the market right now is renewables can outpace most fossil fuels, especially in electric generation right now. You know, wind is cheaper. Solar is just about on par. And why we have some technological changes to adapt in batteries and storage, you know, we're moving quickly to a marketplace. And quite honestly, fossil fuels are getting an unfair advantage in the marketplace um, because of all those subsidies, because of the political power they have. And quite honestly, they're doing so. And I think Bill McGivitt, I Bill and I rarely agree, <laughs> but his article a couple years ago in Rolling Stone about how much money was left in the ground with fossil fuels, I think is telling. You know, look what we saw last week with it being revealed that Exxon knew all along from their own scientists that climate change was impacting the Earth. And they buried their own studies. Yeah, exactly. We're going to be talking about that uh, soon on this program because, yeah, they knew exactly what was going on years ago. And they realized it was not going to help their bottom line if they talked about it. So instead, they started funding climate change denial. Uh, Pastor Mitch, Re uh, Reverend Mitch Hetzcox, we, we spoke, uh, I think the last time we spoke was just after the Pope's encyclical had come out. I'm wondering, uh, you know, it's too early, I think, to, to know what effect directly his comments will have, his visit here in the U.S. will have. But ha has there been any notable change in the religious community, in uh, the Catholic community, the evangelical community, following his uh, his encyclical on the environment just, uh, what, two or three months ago now? I think there is a groundswell building. You know, I hear from my Catholic friends that a lot more parishes are actually studying the encyclical. They're studying the resources, the biblical resources out there. Um there's the reaction you see from the far right, even in my own Christian community, of denying the Pope and keeping out of politics. So I think there's a plus and minus. But I think it's really going to be powerful that the Pope's leadership is going to help Christians and people of faith and Republican conservatives find even better ground on tackling climate change and being aware of it and, and using their faith as a basis for decisions. Just last week, and he's, while he's not a conservative, he's certainly a moderate, um, my senator, Bob Casey, um, moderated an event on climate change at Eastern University where he finally said that uh, you know, he was going to support the EPA's clean power plan because basically because of his faith, because of the Pope's action. Mm. And um, so I think that's just one example 
of the movement it's going to take. But it's going to be more than a Catholic thing. It's going to be, I think, an evangelical thing. I think it's going to be a business thing. Um, and people becoming more aware of Paul Douglas, a nationally known weatherman, uh, who's a personal friend of mine, he and I are writing a book, A Conservative Case for Climate, right now. Mm. Is he the most a conservative viewpoint theologically, but also business-wise, that, you know, the smart bet, if you really want to have a business that's surviving, is to tackle climate change. General Mills did it three weeks ago. Look what they're doing. M&M Mars, General Electric. I mean, the majority of businesses are understanding that climate change is going to impact their bottom line, and so they want to address it, reduce their carbon footprints, and still make money. And I think that's the future. Oh, indeed. And we had uh, just recently a group of Fortune 500 companies that have now pledged to, to go 100 uh, percent renewable, which is pretty incredible. And we're seeing, in fact, some movement a bit, a tiny bit in any event, in Congress. Uh, Eleven GOPers in the House have now introduced a call to recognize climate change as real, quote-unquote real, and have proposed a committee to study how much of it is due to mankind's activities. Seems a little bit late for that sort of thing, to be frank, but I suppose it's at least a step in the right direction. Uh, your thoughts on that initiative in, in the U.S. House by, uh, I think it's Congressman Chris Gibson, is that who it is, from New York? Any thoughts That's on that? Correct, yeah. yeah, we actually helped uh, Congressman Gibson. We helped him, patted him on the back, and worked with some other congressional offices to get them on board. And it is. It's a step in the right direction. Um, it certainly it is small, but, you know, every change begins with a small step. And so I believe as we continue this year and, quite honestly, as we get through um, 2016 and the presidential elections, we're going to have to see people come up on climate. You know, I tweeted out over a year ago that, a Republican president will never be elected unless he agrees to take action on climate change. And I still believe that. I believe that there's enough people in the middle. I believe there's a gaining momentum in the right because of the Pope and other moral reasons that people will have to address climate change. It is, as I'm often quoted as saying, the greatest moral challenge of our time and the greatest opportunity for hope in rebuilding America. Before I let you go, I know you've had a very busy week here uh, following the Pope yesterday at the White House. And then today, I believe you were on the mall amongst the uh, the the adoring throngs out there. Uh, any, anything you wanted to hear from the Pope, but you didn't hear him say either yesterday or today? No, I think, you know, quite honestly, yesterday at the White House, I was superbly surprised when he looked at the president and basically applauded him for his climate action. And I thought that was, uh, quite honestly, a very gutsy move. And uh, today at the, at the House of Representatives, at the Museum Address Congress, I was not surprised that he did not use the words climate change because the Pope is a man of peace and grace. But he certainly got his point across by saying that we have to address air pollution. So, and he referenced the encyclical, I think, three or four times. So I think he got his point across very strongly, very diplomatically, very graciously. And he is that kind of person of grace who I think, you know, I would love to be more like the Pope in his grace and his humility. I think he is a tremendous follower of Jesus. There's an evangelical who would uh, like to be more like the Pope, Reverend Mitch Hescox. 
uh, president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network. Uh, you can find out more about their work at creationcare.org. You can follow Pastor Mitch on the Twitters that he referenced. He is uh, Mitch underscore at underscore E-E-N. And uh, uh, Pastor Mitch, always great to talk to you, my friend. Greatly appreciate it. Hope to have you back on soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, and God bless you. Thank you, sir. I could use it. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with much more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Papa, please forgive me. Try to understand me. Papa, don't you know I had no choice? Can you hear me pray? Anything I'm saying, even though the night is filled with voices. Welcome back. I remember everything. This is your Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. My thanks to uh, Reverend Mitch Hescox. Uh, always love uh, talking to him. Uh, the, you know, he had mentioned that he doesn't see anything that the the Pope is doing as political, and I agree with him. Uh, at least no more political than uh, the Pope has historically been for years, decades, centuries. I suspect. Uh, but that's not how uh, these Republicans now see it in in Congress. Uh, Republican Marsha Blackburn, she is one of the most influential U.S. energy politicians, uh, says she will reject the Pope's plea to tackle climate change. She is uh, Marsha Blackburn. Congresswoman is the second highest ranking member on the House Energy Committee. And she says the jury is still out on global warming. Pope Francis told a White House audience on Wednesday, the further action was needed as the problem could, quote, no longer be left to a future generation, as BBC reports. And, of course, uh, he, he spoke again about the issue to Congress on Thursday. But speaking as part of a forthcoming Radio 4 documentary series, Climate Change, Are We Feeling Lucky on the BBC, Blackburn asserts that the Earth had cooled. In the last 13 years, by one degree Fahrenheit. Oh, brother. I know. And she said that there is no evidence that, no, she actually said no evidence would persuade her of man-made uh, uh, global warming. She rejected the theory of evolution. Scientists say, I love the way BBC knows, scientists say her views are, quote, complete nonsense. <laughs> but she says the jury is still out saying that man is the cause for global warming after the Earth started to cool 13 years ago. I don't know what jury she is actually talking about. What jury is she talking about? Well, and the, the, the stupid thing about this is she first says the jury is still out as if she is persuadable and then turns around and says there is nothing. No that amount would, of evidence right. would convince her. Yeah, exactly. She's not persuadable, so why would she say the jury is still out? Yeah. It isn't, according to her. Happily, BBC points out that the Earth's scientific authorities... 
including the U.S. Space Agency, NASA, say the Earth is still warming with ice melting, sea levels rising and oceans warming. But Blackburn, uh, she declined to name the source of her skepticism about mainstream science. She says, we have uh, we have met with different researchers. She wouldn't say who they are, but we met with different researchers. We had numerous committee meetings in which we had we've had individuals come to present. And from all of that and, and what we have been able to read, you come to an opinion. Yeah. So she she came to an opinion from what she heard in these meetings. Uh huh. I wish there had been one of those so-called scientists who came to talk to them who told her the moon was made of cheese because then she could say the well, same no, thing. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, it wouldn't matter because this has nothing to do with who she's met with as a scientist. This has to do with who she has met with as a funder. As the fossil fuel industry uh, funds women, like, especially women like Marsha Blackburn uh, as the second highest ranking member on the uh, on the House Energy Commi- uh, Committee. She says uh, there are some that feel like human activity is the cause for carbon emissions. And because of that, we need to revert to where we were in the 1870s for carbon emissions. I just choose to disagree with that. That's all. Man asked what scientific evidence would persuade her that climate change was a threat. She said, I don't think you will be seeing me be persuaded. In other words, the jury is not out. The jury is in and she's decided she's not interested in what the jury has to say. Asked whether she accepted the theory of evolution. She said, no, I do not. So that's that's who you're dealing with. Uh, Professor Brian Hoskins, a leading climate scientist at the Royal Society, said that Blackburn's remarks were, quote, absolutely staggering. (laughs) He said it is nonsense to say the world has cooled. If no evidence will persuade Ms. Blackburn of climate change, that shows how well founded her views are. Uh, In the meantime, it's not only uh, the climate that has uh, ticked off Republicans. Steve King also called out the Pope for not understanding nation states and the importance of borders. Mind you, Pope Francis heads up a nation state known as the Vatican. But Steve King, uh, the Republican from Iowa, who has long since he was the guy who uh, remember that uh, quote, Desi Doyen, that uh, I don't I don't think we have the audio handy. But when he talked about uh, people coming over the border with cantaloupes in their pants, well, (laughs) close, something like that. (laughs) I like I think I like your version better. (laughs) Mine's wrong. (laughs) No, he said, uh, <laughs> no, he he actually said uh, they had calves like cantaloupes because uh, okay, running fine. across the desert <laughs> with uh, huge bags of marijuana or something like that. But I like cantaloupes in their pants better. <laughs> it's about <laughs> it's about as logical. Uh, he said, uh, Congressman Steve King of Iowa said that uh, Pope Francis's call to welcome immigrants to the country with open arms. In his address to Congress on Thursday shows that the Catholic leader doesn't understand the necessity of national borders or the idea of nation states. Quote, one thing the Catholic Church seems to miss is the importance of the nation state of sovereignty. And if you're going to protect the rule of law, you have to have borders and you have to have the nation state, said King uh, in an interview with uh, with CNN after the Pope's speech. Of course, Vatican City is a sovereign state. And King, who is Catholic, uh, also said that opening up U.S. borders, quote, would eventually sink the lifeboat that is America. 
<sighs> yeah. You think? Um, man, Steve King, what a piece of work. Anyway, uh, over on Fox News, they, of course, have been bickering about this as the Pope has been uh, you know, planning to come here, and they have been girding themselves for him showing up and saying reasonable things that all Americans will believe in, all Americans except those who, who fund Republican campaigns. Stuart Varney uh, threw a little fit the other day. Uh, he had a, um, a father, who is this, uh, a Father Jonathan Morris on, yeah, and, and he was sort of a preempting the Pope's appearance, uh, threw a little fit uh, about the Pope showing up and talking about climate change. While the Pope remained silent on the plight of many Christians in North Africa, yes, he did, not a word about it, really, he continues to criticize the U.S. and other wealthy nations about climate change. What on earth is Pope Francis doing coming to this country criticizing us, urging us towards a policy on climate change and saying nothing about the slaughter of our fellow Christians in North Africa. Can you explain this to me, Father? Stuart, your selective hearing is absolutely astounding. Wait a second, Father. And, Do you and deny not and that, that, only, that, that, not that Pope Francis <laughs> spent the majority of his speech time this morning talking about climate change? Climate change, climate change, climate change. We okay. must get on board with okay. this. He yes. became totally political. He has no problem being political when he sees that there are uh, major moral issues that need speaking to, right? And yes, he did talk about uh, global warming. And let me tell you why. He chose to go to those things that he agrees with, uh, with the president, and says people who disagree on some issues can work together on other issues. And yes, he does believe that global warming or climate change is a major moral issue. Why? Because he's believed the consensus of scientists. I Climate change is a moral issue because it's going to affect mostly the poor, mostly the poor, and therefore, United States of America, you are in a particular position of leadership. Do something because it will affect the poor. It will affect the poor. Not that uh, they care about that on Fox News, but credit where credit is due. Shepard Smith of Fox News cut through all of this nonsense. And sometimes Shep Smith is the only one on that entire crazy news uh, network who seems to be able or willing to do that. He was on with uh, with Bill Hemmer, who was complaining, whining about, oh, the Pope is so political, you know, finding, uh, basically parroting the same line about the Pope being political, something that was never a problem in the past, but it's only a problem now that he's political in a way that they see as opposed to their politics. Shep Smith uh, responded to Bill Hemmer in the way that, frankly, every American ought to respond anytime they hear uh, nonsense like that stuff being spouted on Fox News. I, I think it, we're in a, a weird place in the world when the following things are considered political. Five things. I'm going to tick them off. These are the five things that were on his and our president's agenda. Caring for the marginalized and the poor. That's now political. Advancing economic opportunity for all. Political? Serving as good stewards of the environment. Protecting religious minorities and promoting religious freedom globally. Welcoming and in immigrating, I should say, integrating immigrants and refugees globally. And that's political. I mean, I don't know what we expect to hear from an organization's leader like the Pope of the Catholic Church other than protect those who need help, bring in refugees who have no place because of war and violence and terrorism. These seem like universal truths 
that we should be good to others who have less than we do, that we should give shelter to those who don't have it. I think these were the teachings in the Bible of Jesus. They're the words of the Pope, they're the feelings of the President, and people who find themselves on the other side of that message should consult a mirror, it seems like, because I think that's what we're supposed to do as a people, whether whatever your religion. I mean, it seems to me, and, and I think to probably, as Bill O'Reilly would put it, most clear-thinking Americans, uh, that, that that's how we're supposed to roll. Well, thank God for Shepard Smith on Fox News. Uh, it, it really is amazing. They can't simply disagree with them. Uh, they have to turn it into a battle. Oh, it's, it's politics. Oh, he's a communist. Oh, he's a Marxist. Oh, he doesn't understand how nation states work. Uh, he, he, he doesn't know how America works. As Bill O'Reilly said uh, yesterday, we talked a little bit about that on the broadcast. Uh, it's amazing. They can't simply disagree with him. They can't simply offer evidence for their point of view. Frankly, as Democrats have been doing for years when they have disagreed with the Pope as it concerns abortion and other related issues, they've got to destroy him. They've got to turn him into an other. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll give you some more information on how they are trying to turn the Pope into an other just the way they've uh, tried to delegitimize the president of the United States, Barack Obama. This is Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. What's the name of that song, Desi Doyen? That song is called Cantaloupe Island by Herbie Hancock. Cantaloupe Island. Very nice. A little uh, inside joke for those of uh, uh, who might have been listening to the last segment <laughs> of the Bradcast uh, who may have cantaloupes in their pants. Uh, we're, talking about, uh, we're talking about the Pope, of course who is uh, really just, uh, well, I want to say, I don't think the right word is, is sucking all the oxygen out of the country, but he kind of is in, in the news media, and, and rightly so. I think it's an extraordinary occasion. He's an extraordinary pope. Uh, and this is coming for me. Never a, a big pope fan, certainly not a Catholic. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think this country just can't take their eyes off of him. That said, obviously, Republicans are no fans of his because they disagree with him politically. So, uh, you know, instead of uh, criticizing his positions, instead of uh, telling us why the pope is wrong, they must destroy him. They must make him non-human. I'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, where there are places to criticize him, you could even criticize him when it comes to his position on climate change for being a hypocrite. Reuters is reporting in an exclusive, I think this came out last night, uh, that, uh, well, here's, here's what they say from this uh, Reuters report. Casting the fight against climate change as an urgent moral duty, Pope Francis in June urged the world to phase out highly polluting uh, fossil fuels. That was part of his encyclical, his landmark encyclical back in June on, on climate change. Yet in the heart of U.S. oil country, several uh, dioceses and other Catholic institutions are leasing out drilling rights 
to oil and gas companies to bolster their finances, Reuters has found. And in one archdiocese, Oklahoma City, church officials have signed three new oil and gas leases since Francis's uh, missive on the environment, according to leasing documents. Uh, had you seen this yet, Des? I had seen okay. that. On Francis's first visit to the U.S. this week, the business dealings suggest that some leaders of the U.S. Catholic Church are practicing a different approach to the environment than the pontiff is preaching. A Reuters review of county documents found 235 oil and gas leasing deals signed by the Catholic Church authorities in Texas and Oklahoma with energy and land firms going back to 2010, covering 56 different counties across the two states. Although, Reuters notes, none of the Texas leases in the review were signed uh, since the Pope's encyclical. So uh, so it's Oklahoma where the uh, hypocritical Catholics are. And that seems to me to be a perfectly uh, legitimate, you know, if the Republicans wanted to come out and say, hey, this guy is a hypocrite. He's saying we need to get off of uh, oil and gas and coal. And yet he's making money or at least the church is making money off of oil and gas. That seems to me to be a perfectly legitimate uh, criticism. Well, that's a legitimate criticism, definitely, especially when we know that there are certain members of the American Catholic of American Catholics, especially uh, officials, bishops, etc., and clergy, who do not agree with this pope on on any of his social justice issues. They do not agree with him on his focus on climate change. So just because the pope says it, you know, they, there is quite a bit of pushback, apparently, well, within the Catholic Church. Well, of course there church. is, but if you want, that's fine. So if you want to use that, you know, to work against him, to criticize him, to call him a hypocrite, I'm okay with that because that is dealing with facts, not what uh, Marsha Blackburn and Steve King and uh, Paul Gozar and these other loons are doing. Uh, you know, just making stuff up, living in their fantasy land, but that is where they live. That is where the Republican Party lives at this point. We've been talking about this for a long time, certainly within uh, the even just the past week or so. You know, the fact that uh, the Republican Party is no longer a legitimate party. They no longer have any actual uh, governing philosophies that are legitimate. They are in business to help out their funders, to keep that funding rolling in. And, of course, you know, Democrats also play to their funders, but they don't go off the rails like we are now seeing with this uh, with this Republican Party. And a case in point where they just go so off the rails, it's insane. Of course, we you know we know uh, you know for years they've been delegitimizing the president. Uh, you know, not again, not against his policies, just delegitimizing him as non-human, as subhuman, as not from this country, as a secret secret Muslim, as uh, someone who who is not even legally the president because he wasn't born here, as they like to argue it. They have to delegitimize. Well, that's exactly what they are now doing with the pope. Speaking of loons, uh, the Heartland Institute, this crazy Heartland Institute funded by the Koch brothers, uh, right-wing group of, uh, uh, focused on, I don't even want to call it skepticism, but they're deniers. They, they're leading the denial industry, to be frank. These are the guys who put up this billboard a couple of years ago. Remember comparing environmentalists to uh, Ted Kaczynski? Yeah. Charlie Manson? Um, I think, did they ever apologize for that? Oh, of course not. No, I think they took it down. Yeah, they took them down because they never apologized. Yeah, they never apologized for that, no. 
So now, uh, since the Heartland Institute has been unable to convince uh, Pope Francis that he is wrong about climate change, and they did send, remember before the encyclical, the Heartland Institute had sent out their finest uh, quote-unquote scientists to the Vatican, dispatch them to try to... Convince uh, the Pope yeah. that, oh my gosh, he's wrong. Well, that didn't work, apparently. The Pope is uh, sticking with science. Uh, so now this group, Heartland Institute, is is trying to turn the Pope into an other. He's just not like us. He's, he's uh, something we don't know. Gene Kaprowski, the uh, director of marketing at Heartland Institute, spoke at a press conference announcing the Institute's plan to join a coalition, quote, challenging the Pope's views on global warming and the nature of capitalism. While we initially thought it was bad advisors, said Kaprowski, I think that something more, something more may be afoot. He was discussing uh, the Pope's encyclical on the environment, according to video recorded by the Liberal American Bridge 21st Century PAC. Uh, he went on to suggest that Pope Francis's focus on the environment shows that paganism is making its way back into the Catholic Church. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm wondering, he says, as a scholar, if pagan forms are returning to the church this day, he said. He smeared. I think that if we have a pope who doesn't view things in the orthodox manner, we're going to have we're going to be having forms returning to religion that are not orthodox. This is not communism that has entered the church. It's rather paganism. Uh, just uh, later, and it gets worse, Kaprowski was asked if he was accusing Pope Francis of being, quote, a false pope. Wow. Kaprowski said, oh, no, no, no. He, he, he said that uh, religions like Christianity have, quote, forms such as the Savior, this is a uh, more of a minor form, and this form is a false church within the church. So he's not calling him a false pope. He's just saying it's a false church within the church, and he said a false election within the church. But wow. he, but he's not. A, I know. Is um, this, this amazing? Is, this is very shocking to yeah. me. And it, yeah, I know. It, it, a false election within the church. It's not a false pope. It's just a false election. A false church. He's a pagan. This is all paganism. And uh, he goes on to say, and so what I'm saying is just as in the Middle Ages when they had sort of a false belief in paganism and naturalism, they had to tamp down by the Vatican. That's the same thing that's happening today, except we don't have anybody tamping it down at the time. Kaprowski said, when you let orthodoxy slip and you don't protect orthodoxy, you get chaos. Wow. Of course, I'm sure no one quoted back to them being that they're funded by the fossil fuel industry and protecting fossil fuel profits at all costs. No one reminded them that the Bible also says the love of money is the root of all evil and counsels against the idolatry of money as well. But, you know, that's probably me getting too detailed and Christian-y for them. Well, no, that's you getting too pagany, false, and naturalistic. I get, the naturalism is, is somehow uh, had to be tamped down, whatever naturalism meant. Man, unbelievable. Quite a week uh, here with the Pope. Uh, in any event, we got to get out. My thanks, as always, to you, Desi Doyen, our producer, uh, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and, of course, to Mitch Hescox of, e of the Evangelical Environmental Network. 
Again, uh, check out what they're up to at creationcare.org. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can always stop by bradblog.com and download the whole thing. It's free. You can subscribe for free over at the iTunes, where we hope you will give us a good review which makes it a little bit easier uh, for people to find the work that we do here on the broadcast and on the Green News Report. My thanks to you, our listeners, of course, for listening, spending a portion of your day or night with us, and particular thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on the air and say whatever we damn well please about the Pope, about the fossil fuels, or anything else. We could not do it without you. My thanks. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. We'll be back with you very shortly, and I hope you'll be back here with us. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.